Well, good morning, everybody. So great to be with you. Uh, my name is Alex Grom, and I'm the, uh, what am I, campus pastor over at the Torrance location here at Journey of Faith. Boy, if you're here at Manhattan Beach, thanks for coming. Great to see your faces. It's so nice to see you. Uh, wish I could be seeing the faces at Torrance. Uh, people at Torrance are more attractive. I don't know if you knew that here at Manhattan Beach. Um, so that might be incentive if you ever want to check it out. Um, and if you're watching this online, maybe that's Sunday morning or during the week, so glad we could all be together. That's so great uh, to be one church in so many different locations. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, that was, oh, yeah. No, hold on. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, there we go. Now at Torrance, again, they're, they're already said it the first time, so well, just kidding. Uh, it is so nice to see on Christmas. We are starting what is a three-week series that will take us all the way up to our Christmas Eve services, which I'm so excited about. It's called The Wait is Over, and it really is talking about uh, the arrival of Jesus on that first Christmas and how much we can still learn, how much we can still receive from that blessing today. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I love Christmas. Now, I say that. Are you a person that might say out loud, I love Christmas and really mean it? I thought I loved Christmas, but it turns out there's people in my life that really, really love Christmas, and for some reason this year, it's been rising to the top, I've been outshined in my love for Christmas. Uh, one of the ways I know that is about a month ago, uh, here at church, we reconfigured our staff webpage. So if you go to journeyoffaith.com, you can click on, I think it's called leadership or staff, and then you can see all of our staff members, we have our staff pictures up there. We got to take brand new pictures, that's really good, uh, but also we got to take a second picture, because what happens is, it doesn't work as well on mobile, but if you go to that site like on a computer and you hover your mouse over our normal picture, a second more fun picture comes up. And we each got to pick like props and a costume or whatever we wanted to do to pep that picture up to just kind of show some things that we like. Um, So let me give you an example so you know what I'm talking about. You should go to the website and see these. It'll help you get to know our staff a little bit more, which is fun. Uh, I didn't ask these people permission before. (laughs) I'm going to show these, but... It's on the internet, right? So we don't need permission. So here, here's one of our guys, Ramiro. He's on our facilities team. So this is his normal picture, but if you hover over it with your mouse, you'll see he loves the Dodgers. That's so great. Look at all his bobblehead collection. That's so fun. Uh, of course, uh, we should look at Jason's. Uh, Jason, our, our lead head. Pa- wow, look at him. The dignity and honor there. But... Um, his thing, if you hover over it, of course, he likes doing uh, his steampunk crosses that he makes. He's such a creative guy with all his doodads, and that's also fun. Um, here's mine. Uh, I'm really happy with this picture. Long hair. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, but uh, I like that shirt. I'm actually lucky I didn't wear it today. But that shirt, so when you hover over mine, it's all the stuff that I always talk about. I got Legos and cereal and a puppet there, all the nonsense that I like in my life. But now listen. Two of our staff members, two people, when they were asked the question, what do you like most in your whole life, answered with Christmas. Their things were just Christmas all the time. So let me show you those. One of them was Kelsey. She's our kids' ministry staff, our director. Uh, Hover over her, and you'll see she's got a Christmas sweater and a little Christmas tree, and that's a nice little elf there. That's so fun. And then finally, Chrissy, who works on our life groups, our small groups team. Uh, There she is. You hover over her. It's going to be her in this big... (laughs) I'm almost sure it really is her underneath there in that costume. Um, Listen, go over to the website and check those out. Uh, You will see lots of people who like things that maybe you like. You get to know our staff a little bit better. Christmas is so fun, and I get so excited, and I've realized, too, thinking about why those people are, like, obsessively into Christmas, why I like Christmas so much is probably a little bit different, and that's because it's a very busy season at church, but it's a very focused. We all know why it's busy at church. I don't know if you know this about pastors, but we get asked a lot, like, oh, you're a pastor. Is that a real job? Are you actually 
but do you work 40 hours a week? They say things like that. And they're like, well, what do you even, do you like pray all day long? Um, Yes, we do, is the answer I give. Just kidding. Uh, But really, I mean, this is a real job. Now, that's normal through the year, but in, in December, people in the community say, oh, you must be so busy with Christmas services coming up. It's very rewarding to, to know, oh, they actually think this is a real job. That is really great. Um, now, we, we really, we, we get excited. We put all of our efforts and focus as a church into those Christmas Eve services. We want to make them exciting, a place to worship God with all our hearts, a really easy place to invite family or friends who might be in town with us. So all, all of my energies go towards the helping the team put together those services. And then right after that moment, we kind of take a breath. And as a family, we have a tradition of going to Big Bear and just getting an Airbnb for a couple days and looking at the snow and doing nothing. And it is everything that my thoughts are set on are the end of December. But then I'm so set on that end of December that January and beyond is just like a black hole for me. Like I know it exists out there, but I haven't thought one bit of it until I get back from Big Bear. And then you know what I face? A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Because the unknown, I know that there will be challenges out there, I just don't know what they are. Those things hit me. So 2023 always begins, every year begins with me having to take the step back and saying, wow, this could almost be unnerving how little I know about what is coming ahead of us. Now you, it might be seasonal for you as well, or maybe you live in that all the time, but we live in a world of unknowns. We live in a world where we do not control the very far future, and things can happen around us that are unsettling. Um, we ask ourselves questions all the time like, hey, are my kids going to turn out the way I want them to, the way that we've tried to bring them up? Or what's going to happen in the economy or in politics or in my job? Are those things going to go up and to the right or are they going to be a challenge for us next year? We think a lot about our health, our personal health, or maybe you have aging parents who are going through something difficult in their lives, and, and you think, boy, is this going to last? Will they uh, have a healthy 2023, or that will, will that be one of challenge for us? We, we go through these things in our lives where we're asking those major questions that can fill us with anxiety, with fear and worry. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you are facing those kind of questions, you are in fantastic company. We are a church full of people that do not know the future, that have to wrestle with the standard questions of life, like what is it that's gonna be a challenge that's right around the corner? It's, it's into that that the good news of Christmas comes, that the only thing that we can be sure of is that God will keep his promises. God loves you and he will do what he says that he will do to show you his love. In this series, we're gonna look at the really interesting fact that the original Christmas, when Jesus arrived 2,000 years ago, that was not unexpected back then. For all the things that we don't know in the world, People should have been ready for Jesus to arrive because for hundreds of years, God had been predicting and prophesying that he would send a rescuer, a Messiah at just the right time. He wanted that to not be uncertain. He wanted that to be expected by the people following him. And that should be the case for us today. We shouldn't just live in a place where we're like, boy, I hope Jesus is involved in my life. Instead, we can live in the expectation that Jesus right now wants to arrive and be with us. We can put our hope in Jesus himself and his presence in our lives. In fact, let me give you today's main point, which we're gonna say probably more times than ever, we're really gonna stick on this main point today. Here it is. In an uncertain world, 
we can find hope in Jesus' arrival. In this series, we're gonna look at three different prophecies from the Old Testament that predicted the arrival of Jesus, and we're gonna see how those aren't just meant to be a concluded idea, but how they should still have resonance and importance in our lives today. Uh, Today, we're gonna look at classic Christmas passages uh, that you may have read or that you might hear during the Christmas time. Specifically, they're gonna come from these two chapters of the Bible, Matthew 1 and Luke 1. Both of these guys, Matthew and Luke, recorded the stories and compiled the stories of Jesus' life, and both of them start with what have become our famous Christmas stories. So we're going to kind of bop between these two passages back and forth with a few others. So let me just show you how Matthew describes the start of this incredible event when Jesus was about to arrive 2,000 years ago. I want you to watch, though, for a very specific, unique detail of the birth of Jesus that both of these guys mentioned in their first chapter. So let me read it to you. Here's how it starts. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this is a, such an important detail that in, in many ways, Jesus was an average, normal baby. He was poor, he was unknown, he was fragile like every other baby, but he also had this very distinct part of his birth where he didn't have a biological father. That is the only, the unique person in all of history that could say that. Joseph was his adopted father, but not his biological father. Jesus was born by a miraculous birth before Mary had ever been with a man. In fact, I want to zero in on Mary's story a little bit uh, because of this oddness of the birth miracle. Uh, I want you to see Luke. We're going to skip over now to Luke, and he describes Mary's situation a little bit more fully. Let's take a look at that. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This is a beautiful prophecy, a beautiful prediction from the angel, and Mary has a very good question to follow up with this prediction. Mary says to the angel, she says this, ask the angel, how can this happen? (laughs) I'm a virgin, Now, that is a great question, Mary. Very good, stable, thinking through the details of how these things work. Thankfully, the angel does have an answer, although it's mysterious. Here's what he says. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. So the angel's answer is, yes, Mary, this is odd, but it's a miracle of God. God himself will provide this miracle. That's how he's choosing to allow his son to arrive on earth. The the angel, God himself, was not surprised by the oddness of this miracle situation. Instead, that was the whole point. Jesus arrived in an unbelievably noteworthy, unique way into the world to set him apart, to show that God was going to perform this big miracle of the rescue of people that would follow him. 
In fact, Mary, in a very real way, was being asked to believe the main point that we've already talked about today. Mary was being challenged by the angel to, to believe this. In an uncertain world, Mary was asked to find hope in Jesus' arrival. She didn't know much. She had a lot of details that she could have been unnerved by, unsettled by the unknown future for her. She was a, a poor, single woman who was with child in a culture where that was unheard of, where you didn't do that kind of thing. Um, but she was asked to trust God, and she followed through with that. She put her trust in this arrival of Jesus. Now, what's really interesting is that we haven't even talked about, the. this is a prediction of a few days, uh, there was the ancient prediction that it's Matthew, we're going to skip back to Matthew, who unpacks that a little bit for us. He says, hey, listen, all of this situation with the virgin birth was something that was predicted long ago. Here's how Matthew sums it up. All of this, he says, occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Here's the message. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prediction is here in Matthew, but he's quoting an Old Testament prophet. He's actually quoting from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. This is, this is a prophecy that was made by a prophet in the year 734 B.C., so over 700 years prior to that. And for those of you who love biblical history, we're going to dive a little bit deeper so we can understand. We're going to go back those 700 years to look at where this prophecy came from and what it meant to the people who received it originally. Uh, Like I said, it's from 700 years previous, so this is 734 B.C. Here is a map of kind of the ancient world uh, that's involved at that time. You can see the Mediterranean Sea here. At this time, God's people were compiled in a nation. God had chosen a small nation of people to call his own. Now anyone who follows God is, is, is part of God's family, but back then he had chosen a specific group of people to prove to the world the way he could connect with people. Now, at that time, Israel, his followers, had already had a disruption and split into two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Both of these countries were laying claim to being God followers. They said, yeah, we're on the right track. We're the ones who are the true followers of God. We know from the biblical record that both of them were doing terrible at this. Both of them were filled with a succession of kings. Some of them did an okay job and led their people closer to God. So many more of them did evil in God's sight and turned their people away from God to worship foreign gods and do these horrible things, uh, even to the point of sacrificing uh, each other in honor of these terrible false gods. So at that point, there were already problematic things of how people were following God, and then into, the, into that situation, 734 BC, we are going to focus on this king, let's put his name up bigger, King Ahaz. He was the king of Judah at that time. His grandfather and father had been very good kings of Israel, but now it was Ahaz's turn, and he was facing some tension in his country where he needed to decide, am I going to follow God, or am I going to follow some other path? Because what was happening is, in Ahaz's time, pockets of other countries around him were starting to make plans to join together in different connections to attack and destroy Judah. Specifically, the nations of Israel and Syria were coming up with a pact so that they could head south and destroy Judah from the north. Ahaz knew that was coming and had a decision to make about how he was going to move forward. It's into that moment that God sends his prophet, that we've already looked at, his name is Isaiah. 
Isaiah is sent by God to Ahaz with a message. And here is the message, part of which I think you'll recognize. It starts out like this. God says, tell Ahaz to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah son of Ramalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, but this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. What God is saying through Isaiah to Ahaz is, I want you to do nothing. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to find some other military superpower to be the place you're going to put your hope. I want you to put your hope in me and I will help you survive. In fact, the war will never happen and you will be safe if you would follow me. And in fact, God, Ahaz isn't sure if he believes this, God goes a step further and says, fine, I will prove it to you with another additional sign. This is the one we were familiar with. God says to Ahaz, all right, then fine. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the Alma, that's a Hebrew word we'll come back to, the Alma will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. So what he is saying is that he is going to provide God's presence, and as proof of that, he's going to have an Alma give birth. He goes on a little bit more. Here's what he says about that child. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. Mm, mm, mm. Every kid, right, loves yogurt and honey. This is, this is an ancient way of saying he'll be well provided for that you'll live in a fruitful place where he's safe and he's got what he needs and he's loving it here. Uh, God says, before the child is even that old, the lands of the two kings that you fear so much will both be deserted. Now what we are looking at here is a type of prophecy from the Old Testament. We talked about this in our last series. It's a type of prophecy called an eclectic prophecy. It's a combination of other kinds. Basically, there was an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy in Ahaz's time. Additionally, there's also the ultimate later fulfillment in Jesus' arrival. Now, I want to talk about what that original fulfillment was for Ahaz, because it wasn't like, hey, Ahaz, wait 700 years and I'll come to your rescue. What God is promising him is a very quick turnaround. This is a promise of speed. God's saying, listen, as a chi- if a child is born right now, By the time he grows up, you guys will be safe if you follow me. You'll be secure if you wait that long. It's not that long, Ahaz. So let's look at the prophecy one more time from his perspective. God says, all right then, the Lord is going to give you a sign. Look, the Alma, now that is a word that means virgin, someone who's not been with a man, but it also in this context means someone who is of marriable age but is not yet married. And so again, he says that an Alma, someone who's not yet married, will get married, conceive a child, have a child, that child will grow up, and by that time, you will see that I, God, am with you and have taken care of it. In fact, if you name that kid Emmanuel, he'll be aptly named because I am with you, God says. Now, we don't know if God was talking about a specific kid. If so, we're not told who that kid was in Ahaz's time. But we are instead more likely to see this as he's just saying this is a time. Anybody who gets pregnant, has a kid, by the time that kid grows up, I'll be with you. God says, really, he is asking Ahaz to believe the same exact thing as Mary, the same exact thing of us. He is saying in his context, in an uncertain world, Ahaz, you can find hope 
in God's arrival. I will arrive to rescue you. Now here is the terrible news. Ahaz doesn't do it. Ahaz, let's look back at the map. Ahaz instead talks to the Assyrians and is like, they'll take care of us. They're a strong military superpower. And it's such a fascinating story. If you look back in the Old Testament, you'll find this. God keeps his half of the promise because Syria and Israel are attacked by Assyria and get destroyed. And so God says, yes, I'll fulfill my promises no matter what. The problem is that Ahaz has walked far away from him, put his hope in a military power instead of God, and the Assyrians keep going, betray Judah, and just keep moving. The Babylonians follow behind a little bit later, and everything here is wiped out and taken under Babylonian control. Ahaz loses everything. Because this thing he wanted so badly to protect, instead of trusting God, he puts his sights on other forces, other voices in his life that are asking for trust, and they're not worthy. They're not worthy like God is. Have you been there? Have you been in an Ahaz type of location where you're like, God, I I can't do it. I'm just going to put my trust in my bank account, in my, my own charisma, in my own plans for the future. Sometimes we feel that same thing that Ahaz is of, oh man, I thought that would help and it did not. Now, here's what I want you to know. God, his promises come true. God cares for Ahaz as much as he's able despite Ahaz walking in the other direction. When he comes to Mary, he says, Mary, I know you're in a tough situation. Trust me, I will bring my presence through this king. I actually want you to know that's not where the prophecy ends. Ends. We've looked at the 700 BC. We've looked at the zero-ish BC-ness. I want you to know we just got done with a series, many of you were here for this, called the Get Ready, where we talked about it's not just that Jesus is promising to come once. He's promising that he will return again in the future. What God is doing in this prophecy isn't just a one-off Christmas birth miracle. He is instead setting a pattern to show us that he wants to give his presence over and over again. Here is what the meaning is of this prophecy. It is that is this is this sequence. God promises his presence to his people in 700 BC. He says, I want to be with you. Then, 0 BC, or if you're a scholar, you know it's more like 3 or 6 BC that they're figuring out, but God gives his actual physical presence to us in Jesus about 2,000 years ago. Not only that, God promises his eternal presence at his future return. He is setting up a pattern of arrival. Listen, the story of Christmas is not that Jesus arrived. The story of Christmas is that he wants to continue to arrive in you today, to arrive and to arrive and arrive, to be God with you right now. In an uncertain world, we can find hope in Jesus' ever-present arrival. Again and again, let us invite him through the Holy Spirit to change our lives to direct us and guide us and forgive us and to be the God we need. Let me read it one last time. In an uncertain world, we can still find hope in Jesus' arrival. He wants to arrive in you today. Hey, we're gonna switch now as we, as we do this kind of tail end here to the how. How do we invite that arrival? Some of us need that so badly. I just wanna give you two ways uh, of what you could practice even this week of inviting him into a larger presence in your life. The first one is this. 
Invite God's arrival by seeking his wisdom. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm spazzing out because I am stressed. I am worried. I'm thinking, oh man, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to figure out that problem. I don't know how to solve the things going on. If only I had a way to know what God wants from me, what the next step should be. I want to tell you that if you have a frazzled like me, we have a tool, a miracle tool that Ahaz did not have. He had a prophet that's nothing compared to what we have. We have something that Mary herself, an angel came to her. We have something so much better than an angel. We have God's written word, the Bible, where he wants to give us wisdom every single day. I know we harp, around about, we harp on this around here at Journey of Faith. You need to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let us gift you a Bible. Our connections people have a couple copies. It's available on an app. Uh, I, I, have a, I don't do everything right as a Christian by far, but I, God has let me establish a daily pattern of Bible reading that has changed my life. Because even though I freak out, every morning God's like, hey, don't forget, I've done this for thousands of years, inspiring my followers to take the right next step. I I need a a reminder of that every once in a while. I I used to work, my previous boss at a previous church uh, loved encouraging people to take silence retreats. It's It's just what it sounds like, where you go off for some days and you just are silent. There was a campground near us where I used to live that for $50 a day would rent you a pretty basic cabin for these silence retreats. It was just a cabin with a bathroom and a small kitchen and a bed. And that was it. Actually, never mind. There wasn't a bathroom. There was an outhouse on that camp. And it was just a cabin in the woods. There was a lot of woods. Here's a picture of it. Can you even see the cabin? There's too much woods in the way. Um, In this cabin, I rented this for two days. I sat around. I didn't bring my computer. I didn't bring my phone. I brought my Bible and I brought a notebook. And it was so boring. (laughs) But then you know what? I... Remembered why I was there, thanked God for my boss who encouraged me to do this, and used those two vacation days to read and to say to God, God, here's what I'm struggling with. I was at a place in my leadership where we were trying new things in the ministry I was part of. There was a lot of organizational pressure. There was stuff I needed to refresh in my own life, and God met me because his wisdom is found in his word. He wants to speak to us through it using his Holy Spirit. He wants to talk to you through the Bible. It is a collection, not just of ancient stories or wisdom, it is wisdom for now that he wants us to learn from. So listen, you don't need to take a retreat, although you should. They're not reserved just for pastors. They don't even ask you. When There's several places in the South Bay who will rent you a room uh, at, a, at a retreat area where you can just be quiet and bring your Bible. I'm not saying you have to do that, but you should do that, uh, no matter what kind of leadership you're in. But let me say this instead. That, that experience rejolted my desire to intersect with God every day. I really want to challenge you. We say this all the time, but here's the challenge. Read your Bible daily. When I say, you don't even have to read it, friends. We've got a great staff member who's like, I struggled my whole life reading it until I realized that on the Bible app, you can just push play and it will read it to you. He's an, he's an auditory learner, and that's helped him. Every day he now listens while he's showering and getting ready for work to the wisdom of God. It's changed his life. Will you take this kind of challenge? Invite God's wisdom. Second thing uh, that we can do after inviting his wisdom, invite God's arrival by focusing your trust on him. 
the story of Mary especially, God arrives to this angel to her and has that message of, Mary, your life is going to be changed. There were one billion things that she did not know that she could have been stressed and worried about. He says, here's how I'm going to work. Mary, specifically in your life, I'm going to bring the Messiah through your family tree. And here's Mary's response. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Mary's response is, God, I'm all in. I leave nothing back. I can only trust you. And this is one of the most inspirational small verses we have in scripture. She had so much. She was single. She was in a culture where being married and having a stable family was the crux of society. And yet she said to God, yes, God, but I'll walk with you through whatever you want to walk me through. Can we take that same step? Sometimes we hear these other voices in our lives. Again, I've mentioned our bank account, our career path. Uh, sometimes it's the voice of just, hey, you know what, just, try, just keep it inside. You just, nobody wants to hear about your problems. Just deal with this on your own. That voice is a lie. <laughs> that voice is something that wants to steer us away from the connection, from the fellowship, the partnership of all these other people around you who are on a journey of faith just like you are. We need to share these things together and walk forward into the next right thing. Here's the challenge question for you. What step forward can you take that requires you to trust in God? It is not the obvious thing. Sometimes it is the thing that you need support of others to say, yes, we're going to be behind you as you take that bold step of faith. Or maybe it's like Ahaz, where God is challenging you to not do something in your worry, in your fear, but instead to trust him. This Christmas season, I want to challenge you to let God arrive in your life. You are not alone. Every day, God wants to intersect with you to arrive and arrive and arrive. I want to challenge you to let him do that, to guide you into the beauty of what he has for you even this Christmas season. Hey, we're going to end today by singing one more song. Uh, the band at both campuses, both here and at Torrance, is going to come out, so you'll probably see them uh, getting ready behind me. Uh, the song we're going to sing is a familiar one to many of us. It's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this song captures exactly what we've been talking about today. It's actually written almost, if you think about it, in two voices. In the verses of this song, uh, we, are, we, as God's followers, are represented in that picture of Israel, God's people. And in that verse, we're saying, God, I need, we need you. Come and be with us. Will you arrive? Will you rescue us? Will you tear down darkness that holds us back? But we don't end there. In the chorus, we, he, he has arrived. In the chorus, we sing, rejoice. He's come to you, Israel. We don't have to wait. The wait is over. <laughs> that we rejoice now that God, the King of Kings, is with us. By the way, this Emmanuel versus Emmanuel, this is just the Greek rendering, the same exact word. God is with us this morning, uh, even before we sing, but we're gonna celebrate it in that singing. So at both campuses, will you stand with me as I pray, and then we're gonna sing together. All right, pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are wanting to be so close to us, wanting to guide us and forgive us, show us that next step. Jesus, this, this week, this month, will you help us not stray into the, the, the trap of thinking that we're celebrating just a, an ancient holiday, but instead, Lord God, will you be present in our lives and, and show us your nearness in a fresh way, in a new way this year. Jesus, we invite you into our lives. Thank you for your presence on this day. We pray in your name, Jesus. 
Amen.